morning. If you have a Bible, you can open it to Genesis chapter 4 and Luke 15 if you want to put uh, just something in both of those passages. That's where we're going to land. And uh, just, just want everyone to know I spent a little bit of time uh, rewriting Ben's job description to include taking sermon notes if he's going to forget everything I say by the time he gets to lunch. So uh, his job just changed. Um, Hey, what a day yesterday. You see the pictures here. This is from Justin's Run for Hope. It was a great success. God blessed the weather, and many of you were here to serve, participate in the run and the activities, or you just came and hung out, and you got to be around in the community. And uh, on behalf of the Langford family and New Hope, I want to say thank you. This was a really uh, awesome day in the life of our church. A lot of energy in the building, a lot of uh, hope being shared among people. And so we were really excited for it. And thank you for everybody who participated in that event yesterday. You may have noticed that we are not preaching through Ephesians uh, in the summer. We started a series um, in January in the, through the book of Ephesians, verse by verse, kind of going through. And we landed at the end of chapter three last week. And we decided it'd be good to kind of come up for air just for a little bit. Like, hey, let's come up and just uh, talk about a few things that might be relevant for us as a church family and in our culture and spend the summer doing that. Um, so we're going to spend six weeks talking through anger. And the reason we're doing that um, is because we want to have a biblical theology, a bib- biblical framework to understand this emotion that every one of us has dealt with. And so we're going to spend six weeks talking through that, different elements. I say that to tell you this. We won't talk about every part of anger in every single sermon. That's why we're doing six weeks, because we can't talk about all of it in one week. And so today, we're going to just begin this series talking through one element of anger uh, and how it gets rooted in the human heart. Anger and the human heart is kind of what we're going to explore today. Let me pray for us and pray for God's blessing on our study together, and we'll get in. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the church family. We thank you for this opportunity to gather. I thank you for your word. That it is sharp, sharper than a double-edged sword, that it can pierce through our heart, that it can help us to understand what's really going on. It can guide us. And so as we come to your word this morning, we submit to it and ask that you would speak clearly to us from it. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Anger, as you are well aware, if you are breathing, is a pretty destructive emotion when it's left unchecked. It can wreak havoc on our relationships. It can cause turmoil within us individually and cause us to feel despair. Um, It is very difficult to deal with. I heard of an elderly couple um, reflecting on their marriage, talking through the role that anger played in their marriage. Uh, And many, many fights, many arguments that this couple had. And in a moment of humility, the wife said, I'm really sorry. Throughout the years, my anger has uh, kind of expressed itself to you by me lashing out, saying mean and horrible things. And I just don't understand how you were able to stay calm. How in the world did you keep it together all those years when my anger got the best of me? My husband, he, after reflecting, replied, well, it was easy. It wasn't hard at all. Every time you lashed out at me, I just went and cleaned our toilet. My wife's like, are you kidding? Like, what? Like, that helped? And he said, every single time, because I used your toothbrush. (laughs) There are good ways, and there are really, really bad ways. A lot of husbands just looked over at their wives, like, don't do that. You're going to get yourself in trouble before we get started today. 
I don't know anyone who has journeyed through life and battled anger who doesn't have some sort of regret looking back on their life wishing that they could undo something that they did in anger. Show of hands, has anybody here ever said something in anger that they wish they could get back? Look around. Those not raising their hands battle lying and not anger, all right? Like we've all done this. Anyone ever thrown something or punched something in anger that you wish you would have controlled yourself? Not just because you may have broke a bone in your hand, but you're just like, man, I really wish I didn't lose it like that. Anybody ever drive angry? You guys got some problems. There's some police officers in this room right now, too. just want you to know that. Look, we've all been there. Christopher Ashe, in his book on anger, describes it this way. He said, anger is the drawn sword of human relationships. Before the sword strikes with a sharp word or a violent deed, it is first drawn. See, anger is one of those experiences we have that's there before we sin, because anger in itself is not a sin. We begin to feel angry, but it's also present while we're giving into our sin, and then it shows itself in sinful actions. It's this fascinating emotion that we experience, both in the good and in the bad, and in the coming weeks, we'll discuss how anger is not all bad, but for today, when we feel this well up in our heart, we feel annoyance, it's as if we reach for the sword. And as that irritation bubbles over, we unsheathe the sword, feeling angry, and then we begin to wave it violently, creating all kinds of damage to the relationships that we have in our lives, creating damage in our own life. It leads us down a path that we wish we never would have started going down. And many of us, as we reflect on our life, we can look back and see, man, if I didn't give in to my anger, I wouldn't have gone down that path that led me to make this decision and this decision and this decision. It all comes back to this moment of me not having control of my emotions. Psychologists call anger our second emotion, meaning that it's usually an emotion that we experience that isn't there just because it's there. It's pointing to something much deeper going on in our hearts. Anger is kind of like a smoke detector in your house. When a smoke detector goes off, you don't run to the smoke detector. You go look for the source of the smoke. And that's what anger is. Anger is a smoke detector going off, pointing you to something else that's taking place in your heart that needs to be taken care of. Anger is mentioned hundreds of times in your Bible. There are 10 Hebrew words for anger. There are five different Greek words translated anger, let alone the hundreds of times that anger appears narratively in the scriptures without directly being referenced. It is all over the place. And so today, I want us to take a little bit of time and just explore the very first time the word anger appears in your Bible. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 4, if you would stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Beginning in verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. 
Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. This is God's word. You can be seated. There's a lot going on here in Genesis chapter 4. I really need the context of Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve are tempted and introduced with their poor choice, sin into the world for the very first time. Sin is now a part of what God's narrative in all of the world. And it's wreaking havoc on relationships immediately. But in the midst of that uh, narrative taking place, there's a promise that God makes to Adam and Eve. He says, from your descendants, from your seed, I will bring forth someone who will come and crush the serpent. He will restore things the way that they needed to be. This was a promise pointing to Jesus ultimately, but Adam and Eve misinterpret the text. You see, Bible misinterpretation began very early on. And Genesis chapter 4 verse 1 tells us how Eve misinterpreted God's promise in Genesis chapter 3 with the naming of her children. When she names Cain, she chooses that name because in Hebrew, it's literally translated, the one that I have gotten. Her excitement in naming her child is, I've gotten the one that God promised, the one who will restore me to paradise, the one who is the fulfillment of the promise God made, that everything that we did that is wrong will be undone, and she believed it was going to happen in her son Cain. She's excited. Well, then Adam and Eve, a little while later, they have another child, and they name this son Abel, and there is no explaining why they named him Abel. She's not excited this time around, thus indicating why she was excited for Cain. She doesn't explain why she named him this, and you have to really read through the rest of Scripture and understand what is the meaning of his name. The word Abel appears as a name in multiple different places in Scripture, but in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's one of the writer's favorite words. It's translated vanity or meaningless, meaning his birth was kind of meaningless. When Eve had him, she was thinking, well, God already gave me the one. I've got my gotten one, the one who's going to deliver me. Why would God give me another son? This is kind of meaningless. And you begin to see this is how they were raised. Cain, believing and being told he was going to be the one that God used to restore, he began to develop a little bit of an arrogance about him. And that comes out here in a little while, while Abel's a little bit more humble and worked the ground and stayed kind of quiet, kind of told that your birth, I don't really know why you're here, but you're here. And so you're part of the family, you know? And so this come, becomes evident when they have to sacrifice. God calls for a sacrifice to be offered. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, he modeled for them uh, animal sacrifice and killing an animal and providing clothing for Adam and Eve. And now you have these two brothers, and it's time for them to give a sacrifice. Abel, who worked with livestock, he comes and offers God a, the fat portions off his firstborn, the firstborn of his flock. And what that is signaling is he gave his very best to God. The book of Hebrews tells us this. Abel came and he gave God everything he could with a level of excellence. God, it's all yours. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. Whatever I can give back, I want to give back. And he does it with excellence. Well, Cain, being told that he was this favored child, takes a shortcut. He worked the ground, gardening type stuff, and he just kind of came and gave God an offering that would get him by. And so when God looks at these offerings, he realizes, look, the arrogance of Cain kind of tells him, right? Arrogant people don't like blue-collar work. They're not going to do the hard thing. They want to kind of scoot around and get, get around as quick as they can. And you kind of learn this principle that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, so he accepts Abel's sacrifice, and he rejects Cain's sacrifice, their offerings. And then Genesis chapter 4, verse 5, the first time our word appears in the Bible, Cain was very angry. Not just angry, he was very angry, and his face was downcast. 
first time anger appears, it's because Cain is experiencing the rejection of something that he expected to be handed to him. And then God asks one of the most profound questions in all of Scripture, one that I think should guide us all six weeks of this series, one that you should highlight, take note of, and memorize, because it is unbelievably profound when we're experiencing not just the emotion of anger, but any other emotion that has the potential to be destructive in our life. God asks him this question, why are you angry? In other words, what he's saying is, before we go any further, Cain, before we have any more discussion, why do you feel this way? The smoke detector's going off, Cain. Let's find the fire. Something's wrong in your heart, and we need to address what's going wrong. This question is an invitation from God to Cain to choose to walk down a path that would lead to healing. Christopher Ash, again in his book, identifies four. Many of you would like to correct me already and say that there's more than this, but he identifies four triggers that develop into anger in our lives. I'm sure that you could add to this list, but the four that he identifies are either things that are taken from us or that we perceive might be taken from us. And as we perceive that something that we value is threatened, it triggers in us an emotion that if left unchecked develops into anger. The first thing that we experience is control. I have my dreams, my plans for my life, I want to be able to do things the way that I want to do them. I want to set things up the way I want them to work out, put things into motion, and I want a certain result to come from it. I want my family to look and behave and see me and respond to me the way that I want my family to respond. I want my marriage to look a certain way. I want my career to go a certain path. I like feeling like I'm in control. And when you or anyone else or anything else threatens that control, it triggers in us an emotion that becomes anger. And we begin to battle that anger because what we love to control has been threatened. Things aren't working out the way we wanted them to work out. The second thing that he identifies is possessions and comfort tied kind of close to control. But really the end goal is my comfort. I want to do things a certain way to create as much comfort as I can in my life. I want a certain possession. I'm willing to work hard for that possession. I'm willing to save up my money for that possession. And when something happens that threatens my ability to have that possession that I wanted, that I think will bring me joy in my life, I get angry. So when an unexpected expense arises, an emergency happens, and I have to spend the money that I was saving for this thing on this emergency, I'm angry because I wanted it to go this way. Recently, my son, my oldest son, had saved up money to go to an NBA playoff game. He really wanted, he's a big NBA fan, wanted to go to a playoff game. We were going to go, and he had saved up enough. The rule I gave him was, if you buy the tickets, I'll get us there. I'll take the care of the lodging, and I'll get us to uh, the city that you want to go to, and, and we'll do it. But you've got to buy both tickets, mine and yours. That's the part of the deal. Well, he saved up enough. We were going to sit in the nosebleed section, but he saved up enough. And then he put his cell phone on the back of my wife's van while he was shooting hoops in the driveway. And she backed out to go run some errands. And a few hours later, on the side of 267, after being hit by multiple vehicles, we found the remains of his cell phone. And it came with an insurance deductible that amounted to almost to the dollar, the amount he had saved for two tickets. And thus, he was not going to an NBA game. Now, some of you are like, you're a bad dad. No, I think it was a good lesson for him. And to his credit, I must say, he did not get angry. He kind of like saw, yeah, all right. Like he didn't get angry about it. But many of us, when we have something like that happen, it wells up inside of us and, oh, that's not what I wanted to happen, right? The next thing that uh, he identifies is sexual lust and desire. Many of us 
all of us are designed with those desires, right? Men and women have sexual desires. We desire intimacy. We desire physical uh, connection with other people. We want those things. And when it doesn't play out the way that we want it to play out. For men, when we don't have the physical act of sex in a marriage as often as we want to have it, and it doesn't play out the way we want it to play out, we find ourselves irritated and even angry. For women, it's more often than not, though not always, an emotional thing. When you don't invest in me emotionally, when you're not uh, putting into me what I need emotionally to make me feel like I'm supposed to feel, then I find myself angry and there's tension and frustration. Now, this one is interesting because it applies to not just married people, but all people. And it's been distorted by the prevalence of pornography in our culture and romance novels and movies in our culture and displaced, misplaced pleasure in our culture. Nonetheless, it leads us to feeling anger when we don't get what we want from these situations. The last one he identifies is reputation. When our reputation is threatened or we think it's being threatened, we get angry because image is really important to us. And we work really hard and we put certain things in place in our life to protect that image. And we want people to see us a certain way, to experience us a certain way. We like being known for certain things. And when something or someone comes in and threatens that reputation we have worked so hard to build and protect, we get angry. And that anger begins to boil up. See, God warned Cain, that anger you're feeling, you need to check it out. He warned him, there's a reason that you're feeling this way. And if you don't take the time to explore the answer to this question, Cain, sin is waiting to devour you. In fact, the Hebrew word that he uses for crouching at your door is literally speaking of a predator seeking out its prey. A picture like this one. You're walking out in the field and you come face to face with this predator that sees you. He's got his eyes on you and he's ready to devour you. I've shared this with you before when we first moved to Indianapolis. My wife and I, our son Caleb was about eight months old and we went to Christmas at the zoo for the first time. And it was a wonderful thing. I really enjoyed it. It was cold out. Again, you know how I feel about that. And so we're there, we're all bundled up and we go by this tiger exhibit and and Christmas at the zoo, it was getting late and nobody else was there by the, it was before they renovated everything the way they have at the zoo around the tigers. And so we're there and we're standing there and we're looking, you can see the tiger sitting on the rock. It's just this cool thing. And I hadn't seen it before. And there's one employee that's walking by and I kid you not, at that moment, somehow, don't even know how it happened, neither did the employee, a raccoon drops into the tiger's area. And I look at the employee and I say, hey, what do you do with this? And she said, nothing. Like we watch. I'm like, all right. And what felt like just seconds, this tiger crouched immediately. Boom. Not wanting to be seen. And what felt like just seconds, he had a hold of that raccoon, smashed it on a rock, and had a midnight snack. It was awesome. (laughs) I picked up my son and said, you're a man now, son. Like, I (laughs) wanted him to see it. It was this awesome thing. And that's what's being communicated in Genesis 4. That's what sin is. Sin, the moment that your guard drops into its area, it crouches. And it's ready to devour you. And what God says to Cain here is that anger you're feeling, you better get it in check or it's going to get the best of you. Look, we're not told why Cain was angry. We can imply it from the text, sure, but we're not actually told specifically why he was angry because he doesn't take the time to answer God's question. 
God extended an invitation toward healing to Cain. He said, if you'll answer this question, I will walk with you down a path that will lead you to heal. And Cain didn't take the time to answer the question. Instead, he gave in to the emotion and he goes and he murders his brother and the consequences would lead him down a path that he did not have to go down had he just taken the time to reflect on the question that God was asking him to ask himself internally, what is going on in my heart that I'm feeling this anger? But instead, he chose the easier path, which was to ignore it, because that is the way we feel at times, is it not? It is a lot easier for me to just remain angry than deal with what's really going on in my heart. It's a lot easier for me to remain angry than deal with the fact that I'm embarrassed in this moment. I feel embarrassed because I've been uh, contradicted by my child. I've been spoken back to, and I feel that anger. And it's a lot easier to feel that anger and just give into it than it is to deal with, why am I embarrassed? Why am I angry about it right now? It's a lot easier for us to remain angry than it is to explore the wounds from our childhood. The things that happened to us as children that really led us down a path that shouldn't have happened to us, but they did happen to us, and we don't take the time to explore it, and so we just give in to the anger, and it's just easier to stay angry than to deal with those wounds, unearthing the difficulty of walking through them. It's easier to stay angry than to repent and just admit, maybe I'm not right. Maybe I don't always get things right. Maybe it's not all about me. This time I'm wrong. I didn't get it right. I'm not the smartest person in the room. And it's okay for me to admit I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have gone down that path. But I went down that path. And it's a lot easier to stay angry about what's going on than it is to admit maybe I was wrong. See, many of us might be sitting here and we're thinking to ourselves, like, yeah, that's me. That's my life. I'm angry. I always feel this anger and I've given into it and I need to reflect on what God's asking me. Really, why am I angry? But then there's other people sitting in a room like this and they're thinking, like, I won't say this out loud, but like, honestly, I feel like I'm more like Abel. I live a simple God-honoring life. I don't find myself angry. I don't explode in rage. Like, I'm not an angry person. So maybe this sermon is just for me to hear to help other people. Guess what? You're not off the hook. Turn to Luke chapter 15. It's a New Testament example of when this word anger appears. Let me catch us up before we read the text. Jesus is telling this parable, a very popular parable many of us are familiar with, of the prodigal son. These two boys approach their dad, the younger son, saying, I want my inheritance and I want it right now. Thus sending this family on a downward spiral of pain and difficulty, he receives his inheritance, he moves away, and he just squanders it on partying. He moves to Vegas of sorts and just gives all the money to gambling and prostitution, finds himself literally laying with the pigs before he decides, I need to go home and just work for my dad. He makes his way back home. He's rehearsing the lines over and over again of how to say I'm sorry, how to apologize for ruining the family business and the family's reputation and the family's name, and literally, in a very literal sense, running it through the mud. When he sees his dad running toward him, which no Jewish man in that culture would have ever done, running toward his son and embracing him, he brings him in and he says, we're throwing a party because this lost son of mine is home. It's a beautiful story. And we're going to pick up when the party started and the party's going. Verse 25 of Luke 15. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. So this older brother, when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he couldn't ignore the party that was taking place. So he called one of his servants and he asked, what's going on? Well, your brother's come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf, the, the prized possession, because he has come back safe and sound. Verse 28, the older brother became angry and he refused to go into the party. So the father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. 
Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Look, Jesus describes in this story that this older son, he finds himself not being able to ignore a party that's going on. And he sees that the party's being thrown for this younger brother who has ruined his family's name. And Jesus' culture, any older son would have been expected immediately to get into that party as quick as possible. But this son has this emotion overcome him. He's triggered because of his loss of control, the reputation, his possessions. He's not getting what his brother, he just feels like everything is unfair and that feeling of irritation and he reaches for the sword and he unsheathes it and he's ready to wreak havoc on anyone who gets in his way. He's angry and he gives into that anger and he has this choice to make in this moment. He has this opportunity to answer the question, why am I angry and explore that or stay angry, and he chooses the easier path, and he stays outside, and he puts his dad in a really bad situation. This dad that he claims to have loved and served for so long, he embarrasses him almost equally to what the other brother did. You see, in that day, if he would have stayed out pouting, which he did, and stayed out angry, if the father leaves the party, the party stops immediately, and the son knew that. So when the father comes out to plead with his son to come into the party, everyone in the party would have stopped partying and paid attention and watched. And so now this son's anger has led him to put his broken relationship with his dad on display for everybody to watch. And he embarrasses him. Well, when that happened the first time, the father ran to the edge of the town and embraced his son. What's he going to do for this angry, arrogant, older son? He comes out and he just pleads with him, please come in. I want what's best for you beautiful picture of grace. And the son decides, I'm going to stay out here and pout. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. It's easier for me to give in to my anger than it is to deal with what's really going on. It's easier for me to embarrass my dad because I'm angry than it is to deal with what's really going on in my heart. You see, maybe you're like Cain and you just struggle with anger and it's expressive and everyone knows it and it's a problem and it has been and you need to deal with it. But maybe, maybe you're more like the older brother in this story and you just do a really good job of hiding it by all the good that you're doing. You see, this dad had two sons. One built a wall between him and his father's heart real easily just by sinning and giving into the, the filth of the culture and ruining the family name and squandering all the money. It was pretty easy to see. I'm, I'm not, I got a dad issue, and I'm not going to deal with it. I'm going to run from it. But this older brother, he just hid it better. He did all these good things. It was far more subtle and didn't address what was going on in his heart either. So could it be that the good that you're doing has actually become a hindrance in your walk with God because you're angry with everyone else who doesn't live up to your standard? Either way, whether you're Cain and anger is winning the battle in your heart, it is crouched at your door and it is winning. Or you're like the older son and it's winning, but you're hiding it. The father has come. He'll either run to the edge of the town to embrace you or he is coming outside pleading with you to come into the party. He wants to invite you down a path of healing and it begins with asking the question of your heart, why am I angry? Why am I feeling this? And that is an invitation from a loving God who wants through the power of his spirit because he sent his son for you to walk you down a path of healing. And you have a choice to make. Go down the path of healing or go down the path of destruction. This has been the chief battle of my spiritual life since day one, anger. 
It has been so difficult for me to confront it in my own heart. That's hard to say as a pastor. It really is. A lot of it stems from my childhood, wounds that I carry with me, memories that just I didn't deal with. Many of my earliest memories involve my own anger. Losing my temper as a child, saying hurtful things that cost me friendships. My anger has been the source of many people's painful memories. It has. You know, when Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, I felt that. And many times we say, man, I wish you didn't hear me say that. But what Jesus is really saying when he says that, it's not I wish you didn't hear that. It's wish you didn't see that. Because those words I just said to you showed you what's really going on in my heart. And God's invited me down a path of healing, and I just keep telling him no. I'm outside pouting instead of inside partying. I know there's coming a day when I'm going to have to sit down with my children. And I'll have to tell them. You know that battle you're having with anger? You know how hard it is for you to overcome that? That's from me. And I'm really sorry. But I'm learning. I'm learning what it looks like to walk down that right path. And I want to share some things with you. I'm going to have to have that conversation with them. And some of the things I'll share with them come from these passages, comes from this. The first one is this. You can't start down the path to healing if you don't answer the question God's asking your heart. Why am I mad? Why am I angry? Went to a counselor uh, out of state, actually. Went and spent some time in counseling because I needed to really sort through this in my own heart. And uh, the first question the counselor asked me when I sat down in his home office, he specialized in working with pastors. I sit down and his first question to me is this, why are you angry? He could see it. He could see it. The next thing I'm learning as I'm journeying down this path is this, that all anger, biblically speaking, should be arrived at slowly should be arrived at slowly. If God's response to our sin is to be slow to anger, how much more should that be true of us? How much more should that be true of us? See, when I first became a Christian, the people that led me to Christ, the people that were discipling me, the, one of the first things that they told me to do was, you need to memorize James 1.19. So I memorized James 1.19 and 20 before I ever memorized even John 3.16. I want you to hear how profound that is, though. They saw something in my life, and they said this, no John 3.16 for this kid. He needs to start out with James 1.19. That's the, we need him memorizing this verse because they could see sin crouching at the door of my heart. And if I didn't begin to understand the impact it was about to have on my life and hide his word deep in my heart, I was going to lose that battle. And so I memorized it. My dear brothers, that's a term of endearment. It's not a scolding. It's an invitation. It's God saying, come down this path to heal. He said, you should be quick to listen. And slow to speak and slow to become angry because your anger, your unchecked anger will not bring about the righteous, the right living that God wants for your life. The profound insight. You know what I've learned? I've learned that when I am quick to listen, 
I'm quick to listen, both to what's going on all around me, but also to what's going on inside of me. I'm quick to listen to God ask me the question, why are you angry? When I'm willing to hear him ask me that question, I find myself, I'm also slow to speak. I don't get defensive. I don't have a response for everything. I don't need to be the smartest person in the room. I don't need to defend myself. And when I am quick to listen and slow to speak, I find myself not getting angry. It's like God knew what he was talking about. But the reverse is true as well. When I find myself really quick to get angry, I'm running off at the mouth and I don't listen to anybody. It's an invitation to two different paths and you have to make a choice. When you're feeling that anger well up inside of you because of what's going on in the culture, the decisions other people are making, the life someone else is living, or the bad choices that you've made, you have an invitation extended to you. God is asking you, before we go any further, the smoke detector's going off, let's find the fire. Why are you angry? And it's an invitation to walk down a path of healing. Or you can choose to stay angry, run off at the mouth, not listen to anybody. The path to healing is a decision. It's an invitation. And you have to make that choice. Let's pray. Father, we live in a world that you are so well aware of, one that seems to desire more than anything else for us to stay angry, angry with one another, angry with ourselves, to respond in anger, to sinfully justify our anger, to be a defensive, prideful people. And there's nothing we can do about that on our own. We can't get down that path without your help. We need your spirit, we need your word, and we need the patience to listen to your heart as you ask us of our own hearts, why are we so angry? Would you help us put down the guard, stop being defensive, humble ourselves before you, purify our hearts before you, hide your word deep in our hearts so that in those moments of weakness we might not sin against you, but instead choose to follow the path towards healing that you've invited us to. Father, we ask you for that guidance and that wisdom and that strength and courage in Jesus' name.